everyone. Welcome to the fourth episode of the Men in Red show. I'm one of your hosts, John Aarons, and this is my lovely co-host, Drew Hom. Drew, how are you doing today? I'm doing very lovely. Thank you for noticing. You always look so lovely. I wanted to properly convey just how lovely you were, actually. So we are both still in the simmering and the glow today, which pretty much every Badger fan uh, is, I feel like, today. We, as a, as a team, Wisconsin got a number one seed. They locked up part two of their team goals, which was to win the Big Ten tournament following winning the Big Ten regular. And for the first time in what feels like a month and a half, I feel somewhat excited about the team. We talked about on a previous episode how it was covering a team that is really, really, really good. Like this Wisconsin team can get a little dull after a while. I feel like this this last week gave it a shot in the arm, and I'm, I'm ready to go. So, Drew, you attended the game. I did. Now, I attempted to attend the game. I've heard about this. I was actually in the stadium. Where did you end up watching the game, John? I had great seats in front of my TV. Wow. That doesn't sound like the United Center at all. I paid $60 for these seats. On your own couch? Yes. The most I've ever paid to sit on my own couch. Long story short, I would not buy tickets the day of a game, hours before a game, from someone nowhere near the stadium. I think that's good advice. Unfortunately, our our crew of of married travelers, which included my wife, my college roommate, and his girlfriend, were the recipient of four extremely fake Ticketmaster tickets that we were promptly promptly told were very fake and not only just very fake but we were we were laughed at for how fake they looked by the the ticket agent yes by the ticket agents we somehow felt that as the laughing was going to make everything much better so i did not actually get to go into the game though i had a lovely tour of the concourse all the way to the station where the fbi people were collecting all the fake tickets and then uh giving half-hearted uh Apologies for the inconvenience and then directing us right back to the ticket window. So I watched that game, though. Well, hey, as long as you got to see the game, and you probably had a better view than me. I was in the 300 level in like a corner, kind of behind some dumb Michigan State fans. You probably didn't have any of those at your apartment. No, I did not. I did not have any dumb Michigan State fans. Uh, our apartment was had a huge, huge home rooting crowd for Wisconsin. How was the crowd in your view? Well, I mean, admittedly, the United Center was definitely pro-Wisconsin. I would say easily 75% of the people there were cheering for the Badgers and wearing red. I mean, there was definitely, you know, small pockets of Michigan State fans, but just about the entire upper deck was red, and then three-quarters of the lower bowl was red, and any time something went Michigan State's way that probably shouldn't have, you could hear boos, and any time... You know, Wisconsin made a good play. It's definitely a loud cheer going up from the decidedly pro-Badger crowd. Now, you've been to, I would presume you've been to a Northwestern Wisconsin game down here at Northwestern. Surprisingly, I've never been to a game at Welsh Ryan Arena. I've been to a football game 
yet to go to a basketball game here. Well, I I usually try to go to the basketball game largely because the basketball games are usually 80% Wisconsin fans, and that's about what I felt like the stadium was at this game. Now, provided I did not have quite a good as good of a view, but I did, as I mentioned, see the concourse, okay. and I walked around outside, and it was mostly Wisconsin fans. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was a it was it was good. You know, we often we often talk about how football really drives the Wisconsin fan base, but it was nice to see the Wisconsin fan base as motivated and as um, as rallying around this team like they they did clearly this week. I don't, I don't think I saw any more. Uh, I mean, St. Patrick's Day aside, when all the Michigan State fans can wear green and get away with it, I saw a, a ton of red on. Uh, on St. Patrick's Day down here in Chicago, and I'm sure you did as well as you were working it. It's true. And, you know, tournaments and events like this really bring out the best of the Wisconsin fan base because these people, most of them had to travel to the game, so they had to, you know, pay for a hotel, pay for gas. That means they are the devoted basketball fans. They didn't just get free tickets through work, and they don't really care. These are probably alums or people who grew up in Madison as Badger fans. And so they were loud. Cause I, I, now, I haven't been to a game at the Kohl Center in a long time, but when I was a student, the basketball crowds weren't always the liveliest bunch. Football and hockey were way more into the games than the basketball crowds. But these crowds at this tournament, like everybody was into the game from the tip and everybody was cheering at the right time and seemed to know their basketball, which is always, I think, it's good for the players, and it's a nice change of a pace as a fan to have everybody kind of involved and engaged on uh, the highest level. Yeah, I agree completely. I think that one one of the more positive takeaways from this season and really the last, the Bo Ryan era in general, has been the general improvement and basketball IQ that you tend to see with, with the fan base in general, I think one of the reasons football is so beloved at the university and within the fan base is because a lot of the fan base crosses over with Packers fans. Packers fans are among the more educated in in terms of the fans in the NFL. I'm saying that even as a Chicago Bears fan, and you are not a Packers fan either, but at some level you have to, to give the people of Wisconsin their due. They do know football. They know fat people running into each other. Which I, is football. Right, yeah. So, okay. No, no, you're right. You're right. I'll give them that. So I I've been I've been happy with I've been happy with the the general embracing of, of basketball. I think that you're starting to see it in in Milwaukee, you're starting to see it in other parts of the state. I mean a a kid like Bronson Koenig I don't think would have existed, you know, ten years ago. And I think that one of the things that I used to talk about within my group of friends was that these players and and people growing up in the state of Wisconsin now, middle schoolers, high schoolers, all they've ever known is that Wisconsin is good at basketball. That's totally different than when people that are on our age, maybe in their their late late 20s, early 30s, that where they they saw where the switch flipped. But for a huge percentage of the young people growing up in the state, I mean, basketball is a big thing that they a big sport for them. And Wisconsin has always been good. And I think that that is ultimately the big legacy of this team. I mean, kids, every time there's a Final Four, kids remember it. You, kids are driven by what's popular. You see that with the simplest things in, in admissions every single year. 
applicant numbers go up every time there's a Rose Bowl and that there's a Final Four. So presumably this exact same thing happens with the participation in youth sports. So I think from a health perspective, um, what what this team is doing for the state in terms of just basketball has been great. So I, I think you're, it was definitely, as you said, reflected in the fan base that uh, showed up to the game. It was a very lively fan base. They sounded great on TV. I'm sure they sounded great. Uh, so without without further ado, let's let's break down this game. I, Michigan State was definitely the team that I was more afraid of than Maryland just because I have watched my fair share of Michigan State-Wisconsin games, and that is never a blowout. There's very few times I can remember it being a blowout. There was a blowout once when I was a senior in 2000, in the late aughts, there was a blowout at Madison. I remember being floored by it. And the game that they played a couple of weeks ago was a blowout, and I was floored by it. This game, I was never expecting a blowout for you. No, I mean, it's just, I don't know, a, a known fact that once the calendar flips to March and you're in the tournament, a team coached by Tom Izzo is going to be a tough out and will probably make it far in whatever tournament they're playing in. Michigan State made it to the finals. They weren't favored to do so. It was supposed to be a Maryland-Wisconsin rematch, and Michigan State just used their March magic, and there they were. I mean, if you remember from the game yesterday, at one point in the second half, Michigan State was up 11 points, and Wisconsin had to call a timeout. And John and I had a very similar text conversation this morning where I shamefully admitted to him that I had texted all of my friends immediately after that basket that the game was over. And John <laughs> replied with a uh, a very similar admission. John, what did you have to say after Denzel Valentine, I believe it was, hit the shot to go up by 11. These are my tweets in order. Here we go. These tweets were sent following the 11-point deficit. This is not good. Followed by, this is not going to happen. Followed by, over. And then about 10 minutes later, Perfectly executed reverse jinx. (laughs) So as you can see, John is a spin master when it comes to all things sports tweet related. He is the main reason the Badgers turned it around, forced overtime, and then shut the Spartans out in overtime. So, John, I just, on behalf of Badger fans everywhere, thank you. Yeah, right? I think I should get a lot of credit. That was a perfectly executed reverse jinx. It's brilliant. The, you know, trademark of, of, of Bill Simmons, vintage Bill Simmons reverse jinx. I followed that in my defense. I did not do a complete 180. I did also tweet, sweet turnover, Koenig. Well, there you go. Really. The dumb, the dumb turnover that I think I had everyone screaming. I, that was that was actually the point in the game where he, I believe it was an exchange on a screen. It was right next to Bo Ryan where I actually thought we were going to lose. For the the most, the closest that, that I felt Wisconsin was going to lose was at that point. It was not actually when we were down 11. And, you know, it when when we went down by 11, it felt like we were going to lose. Like the arena, like the air had almost been let out. Like the Michigan State fans were loud. But again, it was only a quarter of the stadium who was excited about what was happening. Like it seemed 
everyone in the stands seemed deflated. But to the team's credit, they never were. You, I, I made it a point of watching them on the timeout go to the bench, and nobody was hanging their head. Nobody seemed despondent about the situation. And you can hear in the post-game quotes, I believe Bronson Koenig said that he was just rallying everybody and telling them that, you know, there's no quit in this team. And, you know, they didn't quit. And that's an amazing character trait for a team like this to have. Now, would you have preferred to play, hindsight being 2020, would you have preferred to have had a rematch with Maryland, who we both, I believe, agree is the more is the type of profile of a team that is more likely to problems without Jackson in the lineup, or a game like the one that Wisconsin just had, which was a slog it out with a more physical team? I mean, I think this game, I think the game against Michigan State was exactly what they needed. Heading into the NCAA tournament, every game and every possession is going to be a war. And that's what this game was. No one was giving an inch in this game. It's two teams who know each other well, two coaches that know each other well. And for the Badgers to be able to battle back from an 11-point deficit and then shut out a team in overtime, like that's unheard of. You rarely see a team, except for like some of those vintage late aughts Wisconsin teams, go more than five minutes without scoring a point. And I think that this prepared them perfectly for what lies ahead. While their first game in the NCAA tournament probably won't be this, every game after that is going to be a game that can turn on one bad pass or one bad shot or one, you know, mental mistake. And that's what this game was like. And they were able to show physical and mental toughness in battling back to win. I think, and you mentioned it, I think that their points, in overtime was pretty impressive. It's amazing. I didn't even realize it was zero points until ESPN helpfully tweeted out that the zero points in OT was tied for the fewest all-time by any team in an OT, which smells like an intern stat. I mean, or an ultimate troll stat. Yeah, I don't, I'm don't. i not 100% sure how that one made it past the, the filter for content. Normally, ESPN stats and info tweets out pretty good stuff. Maybe The just- fact that it was a tie... Uh, you know, like obviously there has been have been situations where a team has scored zero points in the history of college basketball. Very, I, I was happy to hear that was a tie. They were tied to the record at least. True, it would be pretty shameful if they were the only team to ever have done that. But again, you, this was this was one of the few games that I can remember with the Wisconsin team this year actually going through droughts, and they went through a couple. Mm-hmm. What do you make? Was that more of a representation of the team that they were playing? Just because, you know, Izzo, Izzo knows how to coach against Bo Ryan, similar to Bo Ryan and Barry Alvarez. Izzo and Bo Ryan are actually already own lakefront property together, and they have already planned out most of their lives together because wow. I, I think they're actually best friends. I, I don't know how close Barry Alvarez and and uh, Bo Ryan actually are, but I'm, I'm fairly confident that the Izzo and Ryan family's vacation together. So, they at least have a timeshare situation. Yeah, they know each other. So do you think that this was more representative, those droughts were more representative of Izzo, or do you, are you at all worried about the two or three droughts that there were? There was a couple. There was, there was one that was four minutes. There was one that was three minutes. I, 
I actually don't think it is any of that. I think it was more this was the team's third game in three days. So a fatigue issue. It was a fatigue issue, and the team has been relying so heavily on their starters since Trey Jackson went out that everybody who starts is playing 35 minutes plus a night. It was so great, and I need to you know, shout out Duye Dukin, who I've been pretty mean towards on Twitter during a lot of games due to his poor play. He had a great game. He came in and did exactly what he was supposed to do. He ate up minutes. He made big threes. He allowed Decker and Hayes to rest. And he even had some good, you know, scrappy defensive plays in there, too. He played an ideal game for them and will have to do so moving forward if Wisconsin is going to have any chance, not even just making it back to the Final Four, of, you know, potentially beating North Carolina or Arkansas in the Sweet 16. But I think that the main reason that the team struggled was fatigue. You could see sometimes on some of their shots it looked like their legs weren't into it and some shots came up short. And there was one particular play where I believe it was Decker passing it to Hayes at the top of the key. And it was maybe the laziest pass I'd ever seen thrown in a even a youthful basketball game. And it was picked off by Michigan State and taken the other end for a dunk. I think that was just, they're tired. Like These guys are playing 37 minutes of a possible 40 three nights in a row. And that's hard, even on, you know, young college kids. I'm a little surprised, to be honest with you, that the depth issues that have followed this Wisconsin team the entire season didn't actually result in a loss this last week. I thought there was a very good chance that the week that the depth issues were really exposed. Finally. It's pretty amazing that we watch a fair amount of Wisconsin basketball, and I have a person with a mustache. Maybe he won a prize. Maybe he won one of those prizes at the half-court contest. Like, here's the deal. You get to a person on our Where players they have, they have on this, this starter line are probably four of the best players Wisconsin has ever had in their program's history, and they're all on the same team. It, it, it's really a bit mind-blowing. So we wanted to touch a little bit on the seeding. The once, now Drew, you didn't get to see the selection show, no. which is unfortunate, but I would have traded my ability to see the selection show for actually getting to see the game in person. So I think you win there. The selection show after the first after the first region was announced, Kansas was given the second seat, which is hilarious because Kansas has never looked sadder in the history of the state to be given the second seat. And then at that point everyone said, Okay, Wisconsin has their has their one seed. It's a big it's a big thing for the program, but also I think it puts them in a place where they can now kind of dictate the terms versus being a two in a region with a team like Kentucky. Now we're not on the entire bracket because you know 
but we are a little at this region. So Wisconsin is in the West region. Their first game has a late start. Round. I realized was a thing that he's got. Okay. So that's I'm making to go see the game at a bar or, or whatever. But I'm I'm pretty thrilled that this that this is the late game. I didn't realize that the one seats played actually because I don't have to take any work off the game. It's gonna be great. I, on the other hand, as a bartender, that's true. Um, that was a right, it's just I'm in a late game. Uh, they, they don't really let you watch basketball, hoping that I'll be able to talk the manager into keeping that game on. I have to see what the other games are at that time, but I'm sure Wisconsin will be the biggest game of local interest for Chicagoans at that time. There are only four games going on, so I'll probably be really bad at customer service for two hours, and that'll be that. So the first the first game is against Coastal Carolina. The Chanticleers. The Chanticleers, which which sounds like a band, but that's me just combining Lumineers and Chandeliers. So it's a fancy band. It's a fancy band. Actually, a fancy rooster. What I found out today, they're most famous alum, I believe, football players. That from the league, but I, I was not aware that they even had a basketball team. So this is nice. I like that. I like that in my first round matchup. I, I want to know that they're be surprised that the school that we're playing has a basketball team. That's nice. That means that you were good. I mean, this is almost like a time we played Texas A and I didn't know it either. To play with a seven foot seven guy and almost learned everything. So I'm 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 more hoping that that doesn't happen as it did in 2007 because that run though that run was a little bit different in that you know you had the Brian Butch injury you had no idea I mean Brian Butch was way way more important to that team than the, yeah so it's a it's a bit of a different scenario that team was also you know a much, much differently structured team I mean what was that JG got significant minutes on that team. I mean, there was there was not four NBA players on that team, so I'm, I'm a little less worried. It's very interesting that part of the bracket has so many teams that Wisconsin has very recently played. That was very interesting. It's almost like the selection committee just wanted to run back last year's tournament and see if these teams could actually Wisconsin. It makes me more comfortable in a weird way. You know, Arkansas, you know, for a bit here. Uh, UNC has an interesting story angle there. UNC, Wisconsin, Chicago, out of Menominee Falls, an interesting angle. Yes. Um, Baylor has been played by the Baylor we played in the tournament uh, last year, the year before. Last year. Uh, Ohio State ended up out of, you know, out of that regional. So, and then obviously Arizona is, is the, is the two seed. How do you feel generally about the structure of, 
of this region compared to some of the other one, the regions for the other ones, Kentucky and Illinois. I mean, I, I think the, the West region is actually one of the, the toughest, top two, only out of four, but you get what I mean. It's one of the toughest brackets the, uh, the committee put together. Arizona is an excellent two seed. In fact, if you look at Tom's fishing, Arizona is the team in the country spot ahead of Wisconsin. You can make an argument to flip-flop the two teams for the one and the two, although I think they made the right choice. I think Wisconsin is the number one seed. North Carolina is a team that could give Wisconsin problems. They're long. They've got the kind of slashing that uh, the Badgers seem to struggle against, especially without Trey Jackson in the lineup. Uh, just getting back to the matchup against Coastal Carolina, you know, even though it's you never really want to overlook anybody come tourney time. It seems every year a 16 seed gets closer and closer to beating a one seed. There have been, you know, teams have to think it'll be this year. Coastal Carolina, that's height. Their tallest regular player, six foot seven or six foot eight, which would put him the tallest regular starting lineup. Now, Frank is going to have a guys. I believe we both noticed. At that time, the Badgers seemed to put the block and get the order of foul. In Central Carolina, Kaminsky could easily go 30 or 30 as long as they just keep feeding the rock. Same thing goes for high days. Same thing goes for Sam Decker. I think Central Carolina has got a lot of issues. And, you know, the Badgers probably win by easily 15, 20. I believe the line is 20 points. So, exactly. Coastal Carolina represents the, the prototypical team that comes out of a conference. Very good guard play because and you're best, you're going to get a power, conference, power offer. conference offer. So, these sorts of teams are generally built on guard play and, and mature play.
Yeah, the the next round potentially is a rematch with Oregon, who the Badgers played last year in the NCAA tournament in a thrilling game where they were down big at halftime and came all the way back in front of a, a partisan home crowd in Milwaukee. Oregon's team this year is a little bit different than the team last year. I believe uh, Oregon's best player is Joe Young. And I, if I remember correctly, he missed the game last year against Wisconsin. They had some eligibility issues. Was he one of the players? Oh, no, I take it back. That was That's incorrect. Joseph Young was actually the guy who lit Wisconsin up last year. That's what I was thinking. He was... Uh, yep, I was right there. He either didn't play at all or scored almost 30 points. It was one or the other. Really no middle ground there. So he's going to be a tough player, again, that the Badgers potentially would have to guard. He is, you know, one of those 6'2", six, 6'3", six, kind of combo guards that can score and ball, you know, that Jackson would normally guard Josh Gosser. But uh, Oregon does pose some matchup, pro- matchup problems there. And uh, they are a team with a very efficient offense, 16th rank, so they can score the basketball. Oklahoma State's a got some familiar names. If anyone has been following college basketball the last few seasons, you've heard the name LeBron Nash. He's hit some big, big shots for Oklahoma State. It's not as deep a Oklahoma State team. Uh, they, you know, they're only three and nine versus the top twenty-five. They, you know, only score sixty-seven points a game. They come out of the pretty much the consensus top conference this year though. So they're going to be they're going to be a tougher a tougher team. It'll be interesting to see if a team like Oregon that, you know, five games can can finish off a more battle tested Oklahoma State team whose that's record is probably not indicative of how good they are. Oklahoma State had a brutal schedule. I mean they've lost six of their last seven games to end the season. But, you know, that's just Big 12 play. The only team they played in conference who wasn't a Ken Palm top 100 team was Texas Tech. Every other team in conference was in the top 100 of basketball. Why Oklahoma State's record doesn't look as impressed as Oregon right now. Oklahoma State Maryland, who's obviously by there. Badgers know what they're getting into with with all of these games. They have uh, with Oklahoma State. They're they're going to have a you know a, a tougher team with a really really good guard play. And with Oregon, they're going to have a team with uh, the you know Pac and Pac twelve Player of the Year. Who that's Joseph who you mentioned. Uh, but again, Oregon has like, some height issues as well. So it's Oregon is probably a little bit more. Team to uh, Coastal Carolina without fight. Uh, there's no player on Oregon that gets consistent minutes that's over six foot seven. So it's a, it's a it's kind of interesting. They should maybe put some more shoes in the gift bags for the recruiting visits. I feel like Oregon should have no problem finding someone over six foot seven, but that's needed here. Um, that's through these first two games? Uh, you know, I have them playing North Carolina in the Sweet 16, and then, boring as it sounds, I have them playing Arizona in the Elite Eight. 
I think that uh, chalk will pretty well hold up in this in this quarter of the bracket. I actually have Xavier beating Baylor, so that's really the only major upset I have coming out of the West. I have Wisconsin in the Final Four, and should we do the rest of our Final Four picks now? Do you have selections lined up? To be honest, I haven't done my full bracket yet, but I think that it's going to be a relatively chalk bracket uh, this year. I think that I, I think that of all the number one seeds, I think that Duke is probably the most susceptible to going down. Duke's had some bad losses. They lost to Miami. They lost, got killed by NC State, I think. So I think they're really good. Their lows are really low. I think that uh, I think that the UVA Villanova bracket is just going to be an, a mess. I think that there's just going to be all kinds of stuff going on there. Um, do you have any particular sleeper that you do you think will even come near getting to the final four? Or do you think generally it's going to be chalk? I mean, I, I have no seed lower than three in my elite eight right now. I have a couple of I have Buffalo in the Sweet Sixteen riding the Bobby Hurley train. You no, know, I. Uh, it's amazing he gets so much publicity with how few Duke commentators there are on national TV. It's it is amazing to think about that. I think he would get some more of the recognition. I I, th- I feel like they couldn't get it out of their mouth fast enough to talk about how great Bobby really was. And then the second thing they said were like, oh yeah, I played with them. You know, Bobby really great coach. Oh yeah, I also played with them. By the way, great great buddy this, too. This is over and over again. I kept hearing Duke players from from yesteryear compliment the Bobby Hurley, and I was like, all right, thanks. Thanks, guys. Thanks for your objective analysis of Buffalo. That's going to be a big, big time popular pick, though. You and I is going to be a big pick. Yeah. Um, I, I I thought Michigan State is good enough. Michigan State UVA in the second round is going to be an interesting game. There's going to be. I think there's going to be some carnage on some level, although I, I haven't really figured out where it's going to be. Um, I think that Iowa State is a really good team that I've seen play a couple times too. So you have. Um, do you have any other takeaways? How do you fill out brackets? Do you go by the Darren Ravel system of not filling out a bracket and then telling everyone not going to fill out a bracket? Or how many brackets do you usually do? I mean, I, I'll i enter a number of pools, but I only do one bracket. Funny. Well, I just... just so gambling is not legal. We must... We all do this for fun. Yeah, I do it for bragging rights. But I just do one bracket and then copy it across whatever platform I'm using just so I know exactly who I'm cheering for in every game. Or else I get too confused. I don't. It was fun getting emails from every single media platform this morning. Right, yeah. Yahoo, CBS Sports, ESPN. Yeah, I thought I actually had a lot of work to do today. And then I realized that I was just on the email list for 15 different media services to fill out their brackets. I need a new email address. I need a burner address just for, for brackets because that, that was enough. I had clicked on subscribe a, a record amount of times. Well, do you care while just briefly looking now to make Final Four picks? Because I've got mine lined up. Fine, you go. All you right. Go. So, like I said, I've got Wisconsin, and I have them playing Kentucky. I think that'll be a very popular matchup and one that a lot of people actually don't want to see based on last year's game. Then on the other side of the bracket... I have Virginia beating Villanova, which is heartbreaking for me as a former student at Villanova. But I think UVA is just too good on defense. And then 
I've got Iowa State beating Duke in the other lead matchup, which will surely infuriate my sister, who is a proud graduate of Duke University. So, yeah, Wisconsin, Kentucky, Virginia, Iowa State. All right. I believe that Wisconsin will get to the Final Four. I do not think that Kentucky is going to make it to the Final Four because I'm just, I want to be different. I'm a different kind of guy. Why I have the loop and live different every play can get. I think that in I think that Notre Dame or Maryland could pose problems. I think that Notre Dame could definitely come out of that region. I'll probably pick them. In the Villanova region, I'm I'm gonna go with UVA probably because I'm a sucker for that style of play. And in Duke's region, I really think that Iowa State is a good team. I think I'm probably gonna go Iowa State there. Uh, it's a little different, but I I think that there's gonna eventually be some carnage. I mean, I, I like it. I think it's not a joke. So. We will catch up with all of you, our loyal listeners. Listener. Listener. After the uh, the weekend festivities, hopefully we're we're having a happy podcast and not a sad podcast at the end of that. I think uh, it'll be interesting to see. It'll have a better idea of kind of how things are, are shaping up. But I think we both look forward to a potential UNC matchup um, down the pipes. But for Drew and myself, John, thank you very much for listening. And we will catch you on the flip side of this weekend.